0: the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graviel. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graviel. And on today's episode, we have another uh, very insightful and educational interview. Um, On today's podcast, we have Alex Chalzowski, uh, and I hope I said that right. You Alex it. is a. Did I do, did I get it right?
1: You got it perfect.
0: Sick. Sometimes when you have the last name, you literally flip it in your mind and you say it the opposite. So I'm glad yeah. I got it right. Um, Alex is the senior consulting advisor at ITR Economics, uh, which is an e- economic research and consulting firm. He's a highly experienced market researcher and analyst with more than a decade of ex- expertise in subjects that include macroeconomics, industrial manufacturing, automation, and advanced technology trends. Um, He's consulted and advised companies throughout the U.S., Europe, Brazil, China, Japan, and for the last 15 years, he's been featured on NPR, which hosts some of my favorite podcasts and a lot of other educational platforms, um, the BBC, and the Wall Street Journal. So I know that was a mouthful, but long story short, Alex knows a lot about economics. Um, On this episode, we're going to talk about business strategy. We're going to talk about economics, of course and as a tool to manage our future investments or application of forecasting to increase profitability. So if you're a business owner, an aspiring entrepreneur, someone getting started, or just someone maybe going to school for this type of stuff, definitely tune in because I'm uh, really eager to jump into these topics. Uh, Alex, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Jared.
0: Appreciate Absolutely, man. And thanks for enduring uh, for that introduction. Um, well, Thank you. Like I mentioned earlier, I know it's always a little weird, like hearing about the cool things you do when you're just sitting right there.
1: Well, um, I'm here to deliver value to the listeners, so you got to set the stage, right?
0: Absolutely. Alex, man, how'd you get to where you are today? What's your uh, what's the short story?
1: The short is I am not actually an economist by trade. I went to school uh, at University of Texas at Austin, graduated with an undergrad in, in uh, international business, and then got my MBA. I've worked in a lot of different industries. Uh, sold computers for Dell for a while. Worked at uh, Bank of America. Um, you know, worked for a large, very, very publicly traded um, company that is kind of like the Walmart of information. Uh, but then I I really discovered a passion for helping business leaders figure out how to plan better for the future because I think that if they can do that, that not only enriches their own lives but all the people that work for them too. And so I took a job about five years ago for this. Um, small consulting company called ITR Economics. And I've been working individually with companies and doing a lot of presentations all around the country and around the world on the subject of the economy and what we see coming up to help people make better quality decisions. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: Awesome, man. And I'm, like I mentioned a few times, I'm really excited to talk about what you believe is coming up and how do you project trends and stuff like that. Um, But as a, you know, a senior consulting advisor, Alex, what does your day-to-day look like at ITR? Like, when you come in, like, what do you do? Do you look at graphs all day or how does it work? Uh,
1: I think the most favorite part about my job is that each day is different. So sometimes I'm on the road, about half of my time is spent traveling to either association meetings or company boardroom meetings and actually advising people in person. Um, The other part of my job is spent on kind of getting the word out about ITR and what we do to uh, groups like uh, your own audience, uh, and then um, the the rest of my time is spent actually advising companies one-on-one. So we get on a call. I'll review their own company forecast with them, basically tell them what they can expect over the next three years, what that means to their business, and most importantly, connect it to what they should be doing based on that information. So you know, right now, we're obviously in the midst of a pandemic-fueled recession. That's not going to come as a surprise to anybody. But we are expecting that the low point in the US business cycle, for example, is coming in early 2021, And that companies need to be planning now to make sure that their businesses are positioned in the right way to take advantage of the rise that's going to be coming up over the course of next year. So with that is the thinking about you know what do you need to have in place, what kind of people, what kind of equipment, you know what kind of capacity. Maybe you're thinking about like an M&A type of activity, so an acquisition. So we're helping them navigate all of those challenges and really plan to make sure that they get the timing and the quality of their decisions correctly.
0: So that's it. So you guys are projecting that you mentioned early 2021 will be the low of all of this?
1: Yeah. So when we look at the economy, we don't necessarily track the dollars associated with it. We track what we call the business cycle. And that's all based on a rate of change analysis. The reason why we focus on the rates of change is because that's the way that businesses track their own performance, right? If you are a CEO or a key decision maker at a company, you will look at your overall performance for 2019 you'll compare how that you know looks like relative to 2018 calculate that growth rate right and make a bunch of really important decisions about the future of your business based on that information but you can do the same thing for the economy and you can do the same thing for specific markets that you operate in so you talked about fitness instruction i mean there are trends within the fitness business right now i know that you know the the industry is shifting in a major way from in-person to virtual, right? And so there's opportunities involved in that. Um, businesses need to pivot and, and put in place certain investments and certain assets in order to be able to capitalize on that. Otherwise, you know, they really run the risk of running out of cash and eventually going out of business. So those are the kind of things that tracking the rates of change allows you to do in a much, much better, more meaningful way. And that's why we talk about the business cycle low in the economy as happening early next year. Because when you think about when the negativity set in, it was really in that second quarter of 2020 when we shut down the economy, right? When we had those statewide and nationwide closures of businesses. So the next time that we're going to see rise on a rate of change basis is going to be likely the second quarter of 2021. That's the time to really put things into effect and start to capitalize on that rising momentum in the economy.
0: Wow. That's a lot, man. It is. So are, would you say that in your field of expertise, are there competing, or I, I guess a better word would be opposing, perspectives in your industry? Where somebody, if I were to talk to a different economist from a different place right now, would he or she be saying, no, 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 the low point's going to be Q2 next year, da, da, da.
1: I think the the opposing views largely have to do with the fact that as economists, we've we've got to make certain assumptions, right? So right now, um, kind of the assumptions that we're having to contend with are, will the COVID pandemic combining with flu season make... Our case count goes so high that we have to shut down the economy again, right? You can have different perspectives on that. We have different perspectives on do we get another round of stimulus? We saw a lot of evidence that the government support really carried the economy, the consumer in particular through the summer and early fall. But a lot of that support has now faded away. So we don't have the direct payments anymore. All of the extra unemployment benefits that were in place are gone, right? So if we don't get another round, it's going to be kind of, we call it a downside risk factor to the economy. But some economists might be out there saying, well, we're confident that we're going to get another round. Or we know for sure that there's not going to be any more stimulus. So it's less of a, um, you know, like a direct competition in terms of viewpoints and more about the assumptions that you make. Our current scenario, based on all of the trends related to the pandemic itself, uh, we use a lot of leading economic indicators, which are data series that predict what the economy is going to do. And then when we look at what's going on on Capitol Hill, kind of this bridging of the divide between Democrats and Republicans and coming closer and closer to the next round of stimulus, we think that that bodes well for the recovery that started this summer to really gain momentum as we get into 2021.
0: So that's our perspective. Really interesting. And you mentioned that, um, you know, as a consultant, you, you would consult and advise with business owners, um, on how they can prepare for upcoming trends and things like that. Um, can you give me an example? Like maybe, uh, maybe don't tell me the name of the company unless you're allowed to but just give me an example of a, of a recent experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we, really focus on helping people understand that the data that they have in-house, their own sales numbers is magical, for lack of a better word. You can get such amazing insights by looking at it in the right way that you can essentially see around the corner, kind of six months into the future of your business. Are you accelerating? Are you slowing down? What does that mean? So I work with clients across a huge range of industries, from manufacturing to construction to service providers. And a lot of times what we're talking about right now for for companies that are actually in sync with the economy. Mind you, there are sectors that are counter-cyclical, which is basically a fancy term for saying they do the opposite of what the economy does. But if your business is actually feeling the economic pressure of the recession right now, a lot of our uh, our conversations are focused on, all right, deal with the very real challenges that you're experiencing, but don't lose sight of that need for investment because you've got to realize that 2021, 22, 23, down the road, there's more expansion, more growth in the economy. So one particular conversation that I had with a client very recently, they are um, providing components into the automotive sector. And originally, when the pandemic first hit, we were like, oh, man, autos are are, going to just do terribly over the course of 2020. And certainly, the shutdown did have a major impact. But what we're seeing right now is that the average inventory level on a car dealership lot has fallen from about 60 days, which car dealers are are comfortable with, to about 50 days. And so these guys are saying, we need to be ramping up our capacity. We need to make sure that we've got the right people in place. And so my advice to them is, you can't just focus on the negativity that you're having right now. Think about 12 months from now, where you're going to be, what your customer demands are going to be, and plan for that because it takes time to get all those things in place. So that's one example, but there are a myriad of examples I can give you from all sorts of different industries.
0: Okay. Now, do you think this year uh, with the pandemic and everything and everything that you know about trends, would you say this year is a good year to start a business or a bad year to start a business?
1: It's actually really interesting you asked me that because I just came across some research that says not only is this year good, just relatively speaking to the economic cycle, but we've actually had way more new business startups this year than we have in the past. So compared to 2019, you know, we've got almost like a 30% increase in new business formation. And when you think about the mentality, kind of the, the logic behind investing, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like the stock market, right? You want to buy low, and sell high, right? So uh, starting a business where when your costs are gonna be lower, right? There's gonna be a lot of pressure in the non-residential commercial construction market, for example, right? We've overbuilt, we've got all of this shift away from the office, leasing of commercial real estate space to start your business is gonna be cheaper today than it was a year ago. So from that perspective, you can leverage other people's pessimism, buy in lower, right? And then have a lower baseline to start growing your business from. Plus you're positioning yourself to capitalize on that momentum in your first full year of operation, right? So I think it makes a great deal of sense to start the business. You obviously have to be very careful and watch your expenses right now. You know, If you can, my advice would be try to use somebody else's money to do it because interest rates are extremely low, right? Even lines of credit for small businesses, you can get around 5%, which is really, really good by historic standards. So leverage that kind of negativity in the cycle to your advantage and do something that you're passionate about. And see the results of that down the road when the economy is growing.
0: I love that. Um, what if you weren't going to start a business in the pandemic? What What is the next best time?
1: Well, um, I think just generally speaking, anytime there is a downturn in the economy, anytime that that you're going to have um, kind of this opportunity to buy at the low point that's always something good to look at. And it applies not only to starting a business, but also to personal investments, right? So beside the stock market, I mean, if you think about, it, if you invested when everybody else was running for the hills in March, the stock market has made up that and then some, right? Especially if you were you know, looking at Tesla or something along those lines. Yeah. But the, the the general notion is all asset classes tend to benefit if you're buying at the low. So real estate investment, housing market, for example, you know, you've got a great opportunity there. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of different ways to leverage the negativity. I mean, even if you're an existing business owner, right, and you're looking at um, renewing a lease with your landlord, leverage the pessimism out there to negotiate lower monthly terms on that lease. You know, uh, and and perhaps if you offer them, look, I'll lock in my lease for. 24 months instead of 12 months, you can get an even bigger discount. So it's using this psychology of people's perspective during a downturn to your advantage. And it applies to a wide spectrum of different asset classes and different investments that you can leverage.
0: Yeah. So now's a good time to negotiate certain things.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Um, I will say that with a little bit more uh, to the audience, try not to negotiate everything because some people are struggling. So don't beat them up. Um, For sure. For sure. (laughs) um, Now that we got that out of the way, if you, Alex, were going to start a business right now, um, what would you start? Like, what do you think is the best business to start right now? Right. With all the different categories.
1: Well, so, I mean, obviously, there's so many things to choose from that, that it's it's hard to pick one. But I, I will tell you that, um, you know, there are segments that tend to go through boom and bust cycles, and there are segments that tend to be a little bit more slow and steady. Um, so I think it depends on your, your personal risk preference profile, right? If you're OK riding the volatility of the markets, you know, certainly um, look at at, at things that are beaten up right now. Things like in the manufacturing domain, for example. you know, If you're in um, leaning towards something in the construction sector, I would look at non-residential because again, it's the low point versus housing, which is on fire right now, doing really, really well. Uh, but I think that if you look at any opportunity, it's gotta be kind of meeting a couple of m- uh, main points. Number one, It has to be something where you can take advantage of the virtual presence, whether that's e-commerce in general or delivering your services in some uh, virtual uh, method, or at least selling your physical products in a uh, e-commerce platform. I think that the trends that we've seen are obviously reflecting the challenges of the pandemic but old habits die hard. Once we've made that switch, it's going to be hard to go back to, you know, the pre-pandemic kind of behavior. So, what we've seen is e-commerce that used to be 10% of the overall retail environment prior to the pandemic, right now it's about 20%. And so that's going to be sticky. It's going to it's going to make sure, you know, it's going to stick around. And so, you've got to leverage that, you know, make sure you're positioning yourself for the long haul in that regard. Um, as far as sectors are concerned, uh, we are clearly seeing things related to the consumer hold up better right now than industrial type of segments. So um, in particular, uh, I, I think you know, uh, you've know you got some, some tendencies, obviously there's the markets that are doing extremely well, but I'll give you a perfect example. One of my customers um, is absolutely booming right now and it's not someone that you think. So this is a company that provides fixtures for uh bathrooms and things of that nature so they provide sinks and and toilets and and you'd think right with the, all the construction activity being down it's it's just must be devastating for their business the reality is they're benefiting from this major shift from you know regular faucets to the touchless Products, right? Because people are germaphobes now. You don't want to touch anything. So their business is through the roof like they've never seen before. And it's really capitalizing on these very unique trends related to the pandemic right now. So I say, if you can find something like that in the near term to capitalize on it, certainly would would be a good idea to do so.
0: Yeah. I think if you were to look at starting a business, you have to ask yourself, like, do I want to benefit right away or do I want to benefit long term? For sure. Um, For sure. It might even be an opposite idea.
1: Yeah. For you, I mean, the other, the, One other point that I'll make is there are a lot of distressed businesses out there. So I would say maybe don't have to start completely from scratch, right? There's going to be companies where they don't have a good cash position. So they have to declare bankruptcy and you can pick up the assets of that business for a big discount, right? Pennies on the dollar in many cases. So I would say don't necessarily think that you have to start completely from scratch. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to, you know, take out a loan and buy an existing business. As long as you think that the long-term prospects are good, you might be actually very benefited by that down the road.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea too. Most, I think most, especially young people, don't consider whenever they think of business. Um, a lot of times when people go into, you know, acquiring a business, it's usually they're come, you know, coming towards retirement and they're like, well, you know, let me look in the, the money pages for the next business that's selling, yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, I,
1: I would say that that the the verticals that I would absolutely encourage people to focus on, anything related to healthcare, that's going to be good long term, really really good anything related to technology, right? Because we we are constantly increasing the amount of interaction with technology that we have. So whether it's consulting services or actually making something in the tech space, that's a good idea. Anything related to education, we're still gonna need education and there are huge dynamic shifts in the education platform right now. So when you think down the road, you think about what am I gonna be using 10 years from now? What are my kids gonna be using 10 years from now? Those are the areas that to me represent the best broad strokes of opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, the same thing almost applies to stocks, too. Like, if you're going to invest in stocks. For sure. Same routes. Um, what What do you think would be the most important hard skill right now to acquire if you were, I mean, I would say young person, but if you mm. were anybody, really?
1: You know, I think one of the things that I, I, I've always really surprised in terms of um, you know what they teach you at school is the ability to interact with people, right? And especially when you talk about younger generations, Gen Z in particular. So I'm even past the millennials at this point. I'm talking about the kids that are in their early 20s right now. You know, just entering the job market. A lot of the conversations and the communication they're having are very impersonal, right? It's text-based. It's you know, you, it's it's very alien to to them. Uh, to pick up the phone and actually have a conversation with someone, but what they don't realize is that there's so much additional information you get from the tone of voice, from you know when you meet with someone face to face, from kind of the body language that they can get. So I think that focusing on improving your interpersonal communication skills right now uh, is going to pay huge dividends for you down the road, and that's a lot of times something that. People don't think about, and economists certainly don't don't dwell on it. But again, my business background and being out there in the real world, thinking about the relationships that I've had to build in the early stage of my career and the dividends that they're paying for me right now, I think that's more important than really anything else. You know, your education is good, but most of your employers uh, are gonna be looking for you. Are you able to complete a task? Are you able to commit yourself and see it through, right? Most of what you do on the job, you learn on the job. And a huge part of that is these relationships management skills. So that's where I say focus your energy and efforts right now.
0: That's a great point. Alex, I want to dig in or you know, pivot here to talk a little bit more about your, your experiences um, getting to where you are. What's one of the greatest obstacles that you've experienced or overcome to get where you are today?
1: There's been a lot. Uh, I think probably the one that is most formative for who I am today was the fact that I was born in the Soviet Union. I I lived the first 10 years of my life in Kiev, Ukraine, when it was still part of the USSR. And I emigrated to the States back in 1990. So we came to the US with nothing. Uh, the only thing that the Soviet government allowed us to bring was $100 a person and a suitcase per person. So my my parents, my brother and I, we landed in Dallas, Texas in May of 1990 with essentially nothing to our names. We didn't speak the language at all. Um, and so this this idea that you know, first of all, the sacrifice that my parents made is just phenomenal to me. They were my age right now. And to think about just leaving everything that you've worked for so far behind and just setting out into the world, not knowing where you're going to end up or how you're going to provide for your family when you get there, that just seems like such a shock, right? I I can't even fathom what it's like to do that. So uh, my family, I think, sacrificed a lot for me to be here. And, you know, the, the hunger that I have as a result of going through that process I think has contributed in great deal of who I am today, and so that I think is probably the biggest challenge to overcome. But uh, it's a it's also a message of positivity and optimism to everyone listening out there right now is that you know. Regardless of what your problem, problems are, you can overcome it. You've got to be willing to work hard. You've got to be willing to give it your all, and realize that you know success does not mean not failing. You're gonna fail along the way, but you've got to bounce back from that. I mean, the fitness industry—boy, that's that's a perfect microcosm of it. Um, I struggle to be, to be honest with you, with with personal fitness. I recently signed up with uh, with a guy that I really enjoyed working with, but um, it's only because I am. Failing regularly, and he continues to encourage me to pick back up. That I'm sticking with it, right? If it was just coming easy to me, it would bore me, and then I w- it would fall off. But it's that engagement, that uh, that perseverance that you need to have in order to overcome the challenges. That what that's what's going to let you become the best version of yourself. And I think that's what we're uh, we're we're all trying to do over our lives.
0: Absolutely, I I love that part of your story and. You may not know this, but you're actually the second person I've had on the Business wow. and Leadership Podcast that has um, g- come from the Soviet Union as a kid. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so really interesting. Um, glad to have you on. What,
1: what was the other person's uh, storyline? I mean, were they similar or did they do something totally different?
0: Uh, well, he's not an economist, but okay. he, um, he owns some really large uh, jewelry stores. Um, but he sells gold online and we Mm. talked a lot about that, the e-commerce side of that. Yes. And, um, he's transitioned to doing a lot of public speaking and keynote speaking. And, um, he's got like a big YouTube channel, uh, where he talks about different watches. So I, I don't actually don't know how I came across, um, his profile, but I was sort of fascinated in the story and, and how he, you know, how he got to where he is today. And it was a great story.
1: That's awesome. A uh, really interesting economics fact about jewelry that I think your listeners will appreciate. There's a direct correlation between jewelry store sales and fidelity rates in this country. So that means that the more likely you are to cheat on your wife, the more likely you are to spend money on jewelry to make wow. up for it. So it's a it's a really interesting dynamic but um you know for that industry overall we've been more and more loyal to our spouses. So they've had a little bit of a headwind in, in that regard. But yeah, I just found especially
0: for the pandemic. Like, yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. So, so really taken, interesting. They've taken a hit this year. Of course. Of course.
1: Yeah. We, we're all stuck at home with our spouses. We're not out there, you know, tindering or whatever. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, so wh- what are you personally most excited about when you think about the future of business and economics?
1: Boy, um, I think that to me the the most exciting thing is is really just to kind of watch the the tech developments that are going on. Prior to joining uh, ITR Economics, I used to speak about 3D printing a lot, and that is a technology that's absolutely fascinating. It's still very much in the early days, but when you think about the implications of you know the the way that tech has has changed fundamentally our lives. Keep in mind, the iPhone only came out in 2007. And think about how much of your life depends on your smartphone now. I mean, I travel all the time. I don't even know where I'm going until I land in that city and I just pull up, you know, trip it or whatever, and, and, and get to my destination. It guides my entire life. And that's just in the last 13 years, right? So when you think about the implications, whether it's autonomous vehicles or 3D printing or uh, AI potentially down the road, I'm I'm super psyched to see what actually happens. Um, I I have this conversation with a lot of people. I ask them if they would like to live forever or not. And and surprisingly to me, most people say, no, I don't want to live forever because my body will be failing and I'm going to have to watch the people around me pass away. And and I get that. I think that those are all valid points. But to me, if if we kind of extrapolate the technological trends and we're doing research research in anti-aging. We're doing research in, you know, the merging of uh machine technology with with human uh you know uh bodies and and, and the implications of that. I would love to live past the hundred to see, you know, what the world looks like, you know, in the year, you know, 2070 or or even beyond that. So uh that's that's what really gets me excited is thinking about what does it look like in the future and how can I potentially benefit from that.
0: Yeah. That's some really uh Weird stuff to anticipate, you know? It is. It is. Uh bonding robots with human organisms. And um, yeah. you know, it's it's funny. It's not funny, it's kind of weird, but it is funny. Some of the stuff I remember watching like Mortal Kombat as a kid, and you've got Jax who has like one sure. arm that's like a bio bio it's a robot arm, you know. Yeah, yeah. You've got Robocop, you know, and you've got yeah. And then later on, we've got iRobot. And you know what I mean? And it's like all this stuff, we look back and we're like, "That's it's going to happen.
1: Oh, you know it. Yeah, I'm a huge believer um, in the sense that if we can imagine it, Eventually, we'll figure out a way how to make it happen. I mean, you look at what Elon Musk's Neuralink company is doing, right? It's it's the interface of computer with the brain. Um, funny story uh, based on your Mortal Kombat comment. That was the very first date I went with on my uh, with my wife um, when we started dating back in high school. We were 16 when we when yeah, we met. You in, mentioned
0: uh, the Mortal Kombat like action flick fan? Well, you know, um,
1: I was I was not. I mean, shocking, right? But I was not a very smooth talking ladies man back then. I just uh, picked the movie that I wanted to see and she she graciously came along. So she still gives me a hard time about it, obviously. <laughs> but, um, awesome. You know, that, uh, that was, that was uh, where it all began for us. Yeah, with Mortal Kombat. So interesting. But yeah, uh, lots of really, really interesting implications. And uh, again, things that are going to happen. They say that most of the uh, industries and the jobs that are going to be around as, as soon as the 2030s haven't even been invented yet, right? We're talking about 15 years down the road, but it makes sense when you think about all of the stuff that's gone on with tech over the last 13 years, since 2007, since the iPhone was re- released, I can see it happening, right? So yeah. it's really interesting and exciting to see how it unfolds.
0: And I mean, a lot of stuff, if you look at this year alone, and a lot of the trends would tell you, and a lot of the data would tell you that we jumped about 10 years in projections um, from everything that happened from job elimination to job creation um, where a lot of, I mean, you look at grocery stores, the future of grocery stores is um, not great for people that love to check people out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it is great for software developers and um, AI and people in manufacturing that build these robots and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, That's right. So it's just, it's it's radically different and it's only going to keep going up. I think we're at the beginning of that slope, you know, yeah. so sure that you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Two comments, if I can, on, on that subject, just very quickly. Number one, I think the fears of technology as being a job destroyer are completely overblown. We've seen it time and time again. Technology actually creates more jobs than it replaces. So if you think about, you know, the early 1990s and people were afraid that computers were going to take everybody's jobs. Everybody is instrumentally connected to a computer by and large, right, uh, as part of their work right now. So I think that, that that's a really important notion that, um, you know, it's going to be a good thing for the economy as as we move forward. Uh, I think that the second part of of what you're talking about is... It's also really important to highlight that uh, it's going to create new opportunities that we want people taking advantage of, right? And so the the connection between a trend and what you do about it is you got to challenge yourself to continue to grow. You cannot allow yourself at any point in your life to plateau. I think that that to me when I came here from the Soviet Union, I thought about America as the land of opportunity. What really struck me is how many people just kind of give up. You know, they they get to a certain point in their life, they hit a level of comfort, and then they just kind of cruise control for the rest of it. And, and you know, I mean, I'm not passing judgment on anybody, but I think that the opportunities that this country brings to bear are phenomenal, unlike anywhere else in the world. And so, you know, you got to challenge yourself, continue to grow, pick up skills. The more skills you have to contribute, the more marketable and the more desirable you're going to be down the road. So, you know, we, we talk about learning a language, right? Um, uh, very few Americans speak a second language and you can take it literally as in learn Spanish because the demographics are changing or learn uh, French because that's the most spoken language in Africa, which is going to be the biggest growth area for us in the future, or learn Mandarin Chinese, right? Whatever is going to be pursuant to to your passions but the flip side of that is maybe that language is code maybe you write learn to program and think about the huge amount of applications that you can get into if you have that skill set and it's going to be very much in demand so lots to think about
0: yeah it absolutely is and i think i don't have young kids but i'm pretty sure they're teaching young kids like basic level program language um yeah. in elementary school and stuff now right
1: They are. I mean, I think that you you have to, they're kind of elective approach to it. So you have to want to be in it. It's not baseline education yet. I do think it's coming. Certainly it's coming, but uh, you've got to show initiative. I think that's what it comes down to at the end is you have to not wait for things to be given to you on a silver platter. you got to be out there hunting and, you know, hungry for it. And if you do that, then you're going to be successful no matter what you end up doing in your life.
0: Absolutely. Just the ability to adapt. And To go back to what you just said, um, because I did read the same or maybe similar uh, research, but yes, like computers do, you know, modern technology is taking a bunch of jobs away, but it's creating just as many and much more, right? So it's like, yes, you may not be able to get your first job at a grocery store in five years because it may not be a job. It might be all self-checkout. But your first job might be more fulfilling because then you'll be able to create entry-level code for the next—I don't know, like the next thing, right? Like, yeah. Um, so I think that I think what technology is doing is just creating more jobs where people can take ownership of what they're creating, um, yeah. and that's really interesting. But, you know, it's 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 sort of forcing passion back into the workplace. It is. Um, it is, yeah. The, you know, manufacturing yeah. economy that we once had where people just all worked on a line, you know?
1: Yeah, well, and I think it's, it's a generational shift in the sense that our parents uh, could go to school Uh, pick up some skills, and then use those skills over their, let's call it 30 to 40 year career timeframe, right? For us, that no longer applies. You go to school 10 years down the road, what you learned is completely outdated and you have to relearn a new skill, right? So this notion that um, you can just acquire knowledge at one point and then ride that knowledge is gone. And then people need to realize that and they need to start doing something about it.
0: Yeah, you have to keep growing, especially- With the, and we don't have to get too deeply into this, but with the results, the potential results of the election, how dramatically do you think one party will affect uh, what we've talked about, like some of these trends, the future of B&E, right?
1: So we've done a lot of research in this area, and I think this will come as a surprise to most people, but the results of the November presidential election are not going to really impact our economy next year. Um, it, it really, it comes down to two things. Number one, the economy has no preference for a Democrat or a Republican in the White House. We, we looked back at all of the presidencies going back to 1950. One year after a presidential election, the average growth in our GDP, which is kind of the broad-based measure of economic activity, is 2.81% for Republican administrations, for Democratic administration. It's essentially a rounding error of a difference. So the economy has no preference for a particular party affiliation what really matters to the economy are policies. And if you look at the impact of potential policy change, I know a lot of people, for example, are really concerned about, you know, Joe Biden's proposed tax plan, especially in the business community. But what they have to realize is, number one, you've got to have a flipping of the House as well. If they have a Republican House, nothing that Joe Biden is going to propose is going to get to pass, right? But even in that situation, you have to understand that it takes time for those policy initiatives to play out. Look back only just at the recent 2016 election. In the run-up to that election, President Trump had a lot of big ticket items on the agenda. He had healthcare reform and immigration reform and infrastructure and tax and, and trade. And it wasn't until a full two years later in 2018 that we had the first meaningful piece of policy that actually affected the economy. And that was, of course, the tax law changes combined with the trade wars that we got into. So understand that you shouldn't allow yourself to get hysterical about the developments in the political domain as a business leader. You need to keep your head on your shoulders. You need to watch for changes in policy and then react to those policy changes. But who wins in November? Whenever we actually get to find out who our president is going to be, that's not going to change your decision-making for 2021, certainly. And beyond that, it's important to stay up to date and informed, but you know, in the near term, it really doesn't make that much of a difference.
0: That's great advice. I really appreciate that. Absolutely transitioning into the topic of leadership, which I think this is a pretty good segue, what do you think makes a good leader if you were to identify one to three character traits, what would they be?
1: Well, I think to me, when I think about my personal career experiences and the leaders that I've truly valued and and respected, um, transparency, I think, is key. You know, you hire people because you think that they're smart. And then, don't lie to those people. Don't mislead them, right? They're going to see right through it. So I think you've got to be very open, very honest in your communication. Obviously, you don't share 100% of the information that you, you you have. You hold some cards to your chest, but your people have to have to believe that you are reliable and transparent and that what you say to them is actually going to happen. So the dependability is aspect of it is important too. I think um, the second thing is you've got to be willing to do what you ask your own people to do. You know, that's a, it's a great old school um, idea going back from like generals and armies. You, you can't send your soldiers into a battle that you're not willing to be on the front lines of yourself. So if you're asking your people to make sacrifices, you know, especially right now, as many companies are struggling with revenue and you're asking your people to take a pay cut, you can't keep your salary the same because otherwise it's going to be extremely demoralizing to your, to your people. And then the the last thing that I'll say uh, I would call it I guess um, you know uh, it's it's not it's not just about honesty but it's about communication in the sense that you have to treat your employees less as a I'm the employer you're the employee and more as you've got to be expressing to to them what you need from them to make your business successful but you also have to listen to what they need from you and I think the the transition to this we call it the um, diversified workforce environment, but basically the work from home trend, right? You have to understand the millennial generation, which is now the biggest part of the workforce has been asking for this for years. They don't work a normal eight to five schedule, but they are willing to catch up on their email while they're watching Netflix at night. So, you know, they're telling you they need flexibility of schedule. You've got to listen and you've got to give it to them. But at the same time, you have to say, look, I need your productivity to remain at a specific level. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to make a profit. And that's what I'm in business to do. So it's this very open partnership and communication that goes along with that. That to me, the the combination of those three things is what makes for a great leader.
0: That's good. What do you think contributes the most to business success? And what I mean by that is uh, market timing, which we've talked a little bit about, or leadership or teamwork or market conditions, the business model, your product, your culture. Which one of those things do you think it trumps all?
1: I mean, I certainly think that a company's culture probably comes to the top of mind for me because I've worked both in very positive culture environments and I know what it's like to be um, enthusiastic and and believe that we can achieve great things versus being downtrodden and kind of demoralized. And it's a bad thing to have you know, a, a poison kind of environment to operate it. So I think that that's really important. But I, I think that the the other thing that is absolutely critical is is understanding that you know you you have to make decisions based on reliable information rather than emotion or fear you know i think a lot of people out there especially in the last you know 4 years we've given into being in a bubble right we we kind of have our set Beliefs. We listen to um, you know the sources of information that kind of confirm those beliefs. but you have to have a very open-minded approach. You've got to be willing to change your opinion if facts come are are brought to light that that require you to do so. So you know the the flexibility, I think is is absolutely key. And the, I already alluded to it earlier, but this um you know, desire and willingness to change, to grow and challenge yourself those are the key things that are really important for business leaders to have and, and, and make for a successful business.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so we'll we'll wrap things up here, Alex, and this has been incredible so far. So I appreciate your time. Um, we're going to finish with some sort of rapid fire questions. Uh, some cool. of these questions I've come up with on my own and some are from some of my other favorite podcasts that I listen to. All right. Uh, shout out Tim Ferriss for a couple of these questions. But um, what's your favorite person you're following right now on social media?
1: Um, I have to say Elon Musk is my favorite right now. I think both because I recognize the controversial nature that he represents, but I, I again for me, his his big picture view, this grandeur of his vision, and not only you know the decisions that he's making, but this long-term goal that he has of just improving society, but doing so through Proven business measures, while being also disruptive, I think is is really interesting. I find that he's got a, a very um, appealing sense of humor to me, kind of uh, the geeky, you know, but 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 dry-witted kind of sense of humor. Um, you know, I don't. Agree with 100% of what he says. There's a lot of times I'm like, come on, Elon, you know, what are you doing to the Tesla stock price? But at the same time, um, I do think that he's an interesting individual and he aspires people to to that greatness within themselves, right? People don't work at Tesla or SpaceX or Neuralink if you want the easy way out, right? You know, you're going to be working crazy long hours. You're going to be challenged all the time, probably going to get yelled at a lot, but you're okay with that because you're actually believe in what you're doing and you're going to make a difference for the future of humanity. And so I think that he embodies a lot of those concepts all in one person. And that's why I I like following him.
0: I love Elon Musk. (laughs) I'm on team Elon for sure. There you go. Um, What would you say are uh, three of your most favorite books?
1: Oh, uh, that's, that's a, a fairly easy one to answer. And and this is not going to be something that most people will have heard about, but there is a um, science fiction. So this is not a fact. This is obviously imagination. You can see I'm I'm, I'm a big kind of big picture thinker guy, but there's a Chinese author named Kai Xin Li, um, and he wrote this trilogy. It's called The Three-Body Problem. And the uh, idea behind the trilogy is essentially humanity makes contact with a um, uh, an alien civilization. And the, it's a cry out for help. Like we're ruining the planet, we're driving ourselves into the ground, come help us. And so they sent a message back saying, okay, we'll come and kind of take over. Obviously, you know, it has connotations uh, around that, but we can't get there for 400 years. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna freeze your technological progress exactly where it is. So there's no more scientific development, there's nothing else. And you've got this 400 year timeline to just expect a huge dramatic upshift in society. And it talks about, you know, uh, sociological uh, implications, it talks about motivation for why people live their lives. It's a really interesting blend of very cool scientific things with human nature and how people react in certain situations. So the the uh, series, again, is called The Three-Body Problem. I, I highly recommend it. Um, and and it, it's fascinating to read because it gives you a really different perspective. Again, this guy is a Chinese citizen, right? So grew up in a totally different society, but the translation is beautiful. It's easy to read. It's captivating. And I highly recommend
0: it. I am intrigued. 100%. You should check it out. You should check it out. You won't regret it. What's the best purchase you've made recently in under $100?
1: the best purchase I've made recently in under $100.
0: Wow.
1: Ooh, that one's going to take some thought. Um, You know, we haven't gone out very much. Uh, We've taken kind of the conservative approach on COVID. I've got two small kids, a nine and an 11-year-old. And, um, you know, so we're kind of uh, hunkered down. But being in New Hampshire, you know, we're very outdoorsy people so I would say that, um, you know, hiking gear is, is probably the best purchase that I've, I've made. Uh, I feel good being out there. You know, you, you're moving your body. You're not stuck at home. Um, it doesn't take much to, to, to make us happy, you know. So some new hiking poles or something like that is, is what I would
0: respond with. Love it. Last one, man. If you could put anything on a big blank billboard on the busiest road that you know, what would it say?
1: Ah, oh, what would it say? Fantastic question. I think that it has to be, you know, use the brain that you were given. Don't just be a follower, right? Just think for yourself, be um, be someone who, again, is, is not just locked into this fixed state, right? You've got to be willing to evolve as a human being. You are put on this earth Specifically for that purpose to become a better version of yourself. So with that, learn, evolve, think, and and challenge yourself to continue to to improve who you are as a as a human being. So use your brain. I guess it would be the short version of that.
0: Great, use your brain. I love that. Yeah. That'll wake some people up on the road. That's right, um, Alex. How can the audience find you?
1: So, uh, my company, ITR Economics, probably the easiest way to find us is online, itreconomics.com. We have a great section that is free content that is designed to give business leaders the tools they need to make those data driven decision making uh, choices that they're faced with. So, itreconomics.com forward slash methodology. We're also on all of the social media platforms. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. My personal Twitter account is at HOSofsky. So just first initial, last name. Um, we're constantly putting out blog posts, opinion pieces. Our our hope is to keep you informed to help you make better quality decisions. So check us out.
0: I appreciate that, Alex. And I also appreciate your time today, man. Um, this is some really good stuff. So I'm looking forward to to listening to this podcast on my own later, just to revisit awesome. some of the things that you said. Um, yeah. But thanks again for being on the show, man. And until next time, have a great week.
1: Sure thing. You too. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, sir.